why don't you grab your Bibles, why don't you grab your phones, your tablets, computers maybe, turn on, it on, turn on your Bible or open it up to Acts 19. We're just going to pray real quick here. Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we love you. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I ask that there be no cloud in our mind, that we be able to hear you clearly, just clearly. We be able to receive your word. Not my voice, but your word, Lord, because this is founded in your truth. We thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen. So in Acts 19, we're looking at the third missionary journey of Paul. And he's in Ephesus. And this little story here kind of happens that it's kind of easy to kind of glance over because it's just a short thing and it goes really quick. But I want to take a moment today to look at this because I think this has huge implications on our lives and who we are in Christ. And so in Acts 19, I'm going to start at 11 and, and some of the following verses up to 16, it says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul so that every handkerchief or, apron, or aprons that he touched, his skin were carried... I'm sorry, carried away to the sick and the disease left them and the spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name Jesus whom Paul preaches or Paul proclaims. I have a different translation in my head. That's why I'm stumbling through this. By, uh, I adjourn you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. And the seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man who was, who was the evil, in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now, I'm sure most of us have read that verse, but have you really thought about what is happening here? I mean, what, what is going on? There are these Jewish exorcists that were trying to condense the name of Jesus into an incantation. They were trying to, I mean, it was obvious that they didn't have or believe in the power of Jesus or the person of Jesus because they had to qualify which Jesus they were talking about. You know, you know the, the one that Paul proclaims. Because, you know, who knows, there could have been another Jesus that had the power to uh, set captives free from demonic oppression. No. But they didn't know. And so they made sure that they specified which Jesus they were talking about. And the, you know, the one whom Paul preaches, who, the one he proclaims. And these exorcists, they were actually going around trying to do that, trying to compete, if you would, with the... Uh, with the Christians. They're saying, hey, you know what? They're doing all these wonderful things. This name, it's working. Let's see if we can put it into one of our, our methods to do it, but it's beyond a method. And the demon that was, that was there that day wasn't having it. What does he say? Jesus? Yeah, he's the son of God. I know him. And Paul, yeah, I've heard of him. He, he, you know, he evicted a couple of buddies of mine. But who are you? Who are you? An age-old question that every generation needs to, to, 
that, that every generation comes up to and they need to ask it for themselves. And the problem is the further that generations get away from the word of God, it's the harder for the generation to answer. That's why there's a possibility that you have some friends that just do not understand who they are. And they're doing everything that they can to fill themselves with things, with substances, with relationships. The book of Acts is sharing the account of the early church and of how the Holy Spirit was moving. It was written around 62 A.D., meaning that that book roughly today is around 1,960 years old. It's amazing. But the enemy of our soul has been making us question the word of God all the way back from the Garden of Eden. Who are you? He was saying, did God really say that? Was that really what he meant? You know, I think actually what happened was God, he, you know, he doesn't want you to have the same knowledge as him. He, he's afraid that you'll be like him then. Which, honestly, is the furthest thing from the truth. Because the fact of the matter is that God desires us to be like his son. God desires us to be close with him. God opened, a, he chose to set a plan in motion that we would receive his son when we are saved from eternal judgment. And if that isn't enough, he sees Jesus when he looks at us. This is our goal as Christians to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. This nation is, is facing a huge identity crisis. Who are you? We were once a nation under God. Now we're encouraged to find our own truth. And your truth can be different than your truth. And all truths lead to the same place. But that's wrong. We were once men and women made in the image of God Almighty. And now it's socially acceptable to claim your own gender. And if you think you're an animal, that's okay also. No, it's not. Just in case. I had to qualify that. No, it's not. Come on, wake up, people. It's not that cold out. We once had a moral standard of how we should act, and now we're being told, if it feels good, do it. My goodness, we put way too much stock into our feelings. The world puts more stock into our feelings than it does the Word of God itself. And our feelings, they change minute by minute, hour by hour. Don't get offended now. I'll give you plenty of opportunities later to do that, okay? So pace yourself. Breathe. How many people have, did not feel like getting out of bed this morning? Okay? But you're here. How many people did not feel like going out into the cold this morning? But you're here. How many people have felt one way in the morning, another way in the afternoon, and a completely different way in the evening? But yet we put so much stock in our feelings. Come on now. Our feelings change from all the time, yet the word of God stands true. From generation to generation, God's word does not change. It is the same. And so the question is, who are you? Well, my parents are so-and-so, and they do this and that. No, that's your parents. Who are you? 
well, you know, I'm, I'm a student here at Elam Bible Institute in college. No, that's where you're going to school. Who are you? Well, I like to play sports or I do this or that. No, those are your hobbies. Who are you? You see, your, your identity is one of the most important things that you can know because once you figure out who you are and who you are in Christ mainly, everything else falls into the place that it should be. See, the seven sons of Siva, they had zero identity and they tried to reduce, reduce Jesus' name into an incantation and, they were, and it says they ran away naked and beaten. Now, I'm not the strongest, I'm not the best fighter, but to make me leave in that sort of manner would take a whole lot, especially if I had seven other brothers with me. But the thing is, is that they didn't have their identity. I'm going to put this out here. If it sticks, okay. If not, just pass it on to the next person. But these seven brothers had no identity, and because of it, they got whooped. And I'd like to venture, I'm just putting this out there. Don't get offended. I'll give you more opportunities. I'd venture to say some of the issues that we're facing nowadays, some of, some of the, the, that feeling of, man, I'm just getting so beat up. Man, that, that devil is on my case, whatever it is. You know, sometimes, maybe that's just a lack of knowledge of who we are in Christ. See, when you boil it down, the Bible defines our identity in three main places. Being accepted, secure, and significant. Now, if you ever preach this message again, do not make an acronym of that, okay? I'm just trying to cover you, okay? Just, I'm, I, my heart is for you. But the fact of the matter is, is we are accepted, secure, and significant. Now, I, I handed this flyer, this, this paper out, and I want you all to look at me, because, or look at it with me, because you're not listening fast enough, so I knew that I had to give it to you so you could have this. But honestly, I, want, I wish I could spend more time on this, and I ask you, please, don't throw it out, at least in my presence. Hold on to it a little bit longer, okay? Look it over, put it in your bag, your Bible, wherever, because, you know, this might be of significance, something good for you to learn. And we're Bible school students, so we can dig into it a little bit again. But who are you? We are accepted. Repeat after me. I'm accepted. accepted. Okay, now, (laughs) excuse me, teacher. Come on now. We are in the house of God here. Let's let's say it like we believe it a little bit more. I'm I'm accepted. There we go. We are accepted. And, And here we go. I am God's child. No. I'm just going to read through it. I, I am God's child. There's a reference there. Look at these references yourself when you have time. As a disciple, I am a friend of Jesus. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord. I am one with him in spirit. I have been bought with a price. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I have been chosen by God and adopted as his child. He cannot disown me or give me up. Did you know that according to Hebrew law, if you adopted a child, you could not give them up? According to the law that the Lord put forth through Moses, you could not disown a child if they were adopted. You could disown your own children. I know sometimes I'm like, oh, that's not my kid. And I'm safe to say that because they're not watching me today. It is so hard to preach when your kids are in the same room. They are my best material, let me tell you. But according to Hebrew law, I could give up my own kids. But as soon as I adopt one, you're not giving up. 
And someone needs to be aware of that today. Someone needs to be, a lot of us need to be aware of that today, that God has adopted us as his own. And so by his own word, by his own law, he will not give you up. I can only think of, someone can, can challenge me on this, and I'm probably wrong, but I can only recall two verses that say, if you do this, you're out. But yet I have a whole book and books in the Bible that say we are in. God is not going to disown you. Going on, I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. I have direct access through the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. I remember when I was a student sitting in the same seats that you were in, there were times where we were like, we need to shout to get over heaven's gate so God will hear us. But the thing is, we're seated with him in Christ. So instead of yelling over a gate or over a fence, we are sitting at a table. And all we have to say is, God, help me. It doesn't have to be this big pomp and circumstance. See, once, then, once you realize that you're accepted, then you can know that you are secure. And like I joked about the acronym there, but it has to be that way. You have to know that you are accepted. Because if you don't know you're accepted, then there's no way you're going to get secure in Christ. Say, I'm secure. I mean it. I was waiting for the smart aleck to say, and mean it. Good job. You guys are good. You're good. Okay. I am secure. I am free from condemnation. I am, I am assured that God works for, all, for, for my good in all circumstances. I am free from any condemnation brought against me, and I cannot be separated from the love of God. Let me say that again. And I cannot be separated from the love of God. One more time, just in case someone missed it. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I've been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am confident that God will complete the good works he started in me. I am a citizen of heaven. You might be American. You might be African. You might be uh, whatever nation you're from. But when it comes down to it, you're Havanians. You're Havanians. That's where you're really from. And that's where you're really going to be going. When it's time to really go home, I love Billy Graham. He says, if someone told you that I died, don't believe him for a second. I just changed my address. I'm more alive now than I will be ever on this earth. I am a citizen of heaven. We are Havanians. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I am born of God. The evil one cannot touch me. And then once we can realize that we're accepted, we can become secure. And once we can become secure, then we know that we are significant. Say, I am significant. I am a branch of Jesus Christ, a true vine and a channel of his love. I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am God's temple. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am seated with Jesus in heavenly realms. I am God's workmanship. What? Yeah. Other translations say I'm his masterpiece. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what that verse is talking about there, it's not carte blanche that, hey, I can do anything I want because Christ is going to strengthen me. 
you got to read the word of God in context here. Paul is saying, I can be a bound or I can be a base. I can have a lot of, I can have a full belly or I can have an empty belly. I can do all those things that he's calling me to do in the ministry that I'm in right now because he has strengthened me for that. It's talking about being content and where you are in life with the Lord. So if you become accepted through God in Christ, then if you can't become accepted, you can't be secure. And if you can't be secure, accepted and insecure, you will never be significant. You will never know your significance. And that is why we are bringing this up today, because we are accepted. We are secure. We are significant. While society tells you you have to look a certain way or you have to dress a certain way, you have to act a certain way, the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me say that again. You are fearful and wonderfully made. Now, I'd like to say that, you know, I'm, actually, I'm not going to say that you're beautiful or handsome in your own way. Because what happens is that society makes that kind of a code word that, well, you, you ugly, but I'm trying to be nice, you know? But that's not what I'm saying here. I promise you that you are greater in him and to him. The truth is that you will never be smart enough. I'm going to burst some bubbles here. You're never going to be smart enough. You're never going to be strong enough. You're never going to be fit enough. You're never going to be pretty enough or handsome enough. You're not going to fit into that world standard because there's always going to be another person. I'm always amazed when, uh, you know, you have these track runners in the Olympics. You watch them run that race, and they're good for a really long time, and then all of a sudden there comes another person that's faster, better, whatever than them. And so they have their record, but then all of a sudden that record gets broken. And then that person has their time of the dynasty of that person or the other person. Uh, same could be said with, with uh, sports too, other sports too. God bless Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. But anyways, there's some believers in this room. That's great. There's always going to be someone that's out there. There's always going to be someone that's going to be better than us. And so if we're always judging ourselves towards the standard of everyone else, that's a problem. The fact of the matter is you will only be perfect when you see yourself the way that God has made you, and you can accept that. This paper that I handed out, you can know this stuff, but until you yourself accept that and let it go from here down to here, that's, that's where it really hits the road then. I used to work with... Um, um, some cowboys and rodeos and there was a saying that you know a person can miss heaven by I think it's like seven inches or something like that the distance between your head and your heart maybe it was 14 inches we can have all this head knowledge but until we allow it to actually be in our heart that we can live it out that we, we can actually go forth with it that's really when it becomes valuable the problem is we don't always accept who God is has made us to be by design. By design. Listen, Ephesians 2.10, first part, 10a. For we are God's masterpiece. Jeremiah uh, 1.5, the beginning part of that, God said to Jeremiah, I knew you before, uh, before I formed you in the mother's womb. 
before the mother. How, how did he know us before? I mean, what? Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. For all the people on this earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are Havanians. When I rededicated my life to Christ after high school, I just had just this passion for worship. I've always liked music and worship, but once I rededicated my life, I'm like, man, I, this is, it just came alive in me and that I ended up teaching myself guitar by having a chord list, a, a, a chord chart, a just a list of all different chords and how to finger the, the chords and all the worship music that I had for my church. And I borrowed a guitar and I, and I played and played and played until I finally was able to purchase my own guitar. I purchased it with um, change I got from waiting tables, bussing tables and everything like that. And I would always throw it in a jar and finally I'm like, you know, I got all this change, let me see how much I have. And I was able to pay for more than half of that guitar. And that was my baby. I had that guitar everywhere I went. I, and when I was home, I had that with me all the time. I'm watching TV, I'm plucking, strumming, whatever. What, I mean, it got so annoying to my brother that I was living with at the time. He, he said, listen, it's okay if you have it, but let me watch TV, okay? <laughs> so one time I was in the kitchen with him. I had the guitar strung a little over my back because I thought it was cool with it strung over my back and everything, walking around with my guitar, and I love the thing. And, and, and my normal custom to do and still do sometimes is I mess with my older brother because that's what brothers do, right? Siblings mess with siblings. And so I did something and said something that deserved to be hit, and so he was going to fulfill that deserving uh, part of it, to, and he swung at me, and I dodged out of the way because I could. But my guitar that was on my back fell off, and it hit the very top, so the top of the guitar where the, where the strings are, this here, this is Gabriel's guitar, he was gracious enough to to let me use it. That's called the head of the guitar. It fell right on the head of the guitar and it actually chipped a piece of the varnish off. My baby, my, my perfect guitar, the beautiful thing, was now ruined. It was un imperfect. And I could see my brother felt terrible about it. But it was my fault. I was messing with him. So what I ended up saying is, oh man, don't feel bad about it. It gives it character now. Have you ever heard that about something? You know, you, ha you have your own car and something happens and you get a dent in it or get a scratch in it. Oh, it gives a character now. Why are we so easy to look, pass off the imperfections and say it's character, but when we look in the mirror ourselves, we only see flaws? When I make things with wood, I look for that awesome looking knot in the wood. I look for that thing that, I mean, you look at the wood around here, you see different perfections in it, and I think that's beautiful. I think that's beautiful. I look for the most unique thing to separate that piece of wood out from all others. It's an original. It's unique. Yet when we look at ourselves and compare ourselves with others, we only see flaws and mistakes. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17, Paul writes, So we have stopped evaluating ourselves from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, and how differently do we know him now? This means that anyone who belongs in Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone and the new life has begun. We cannot see ourselves the way, uh, when we cannot see ourselves the way that Christ's death on the cross made us as a new creation, how can we draw others to him? Because isn't our job as a Christian to reflect his glory, to draw other people into that? It's not just to come to a nice, safe place, a bubble on a hill. It's to actually be active and do things. But if we can't see ourselves, how are we going to draw others to him? You know, God so loved the world, except for me. He made a mistake with me, but everyone else he loved. And so he sent his only son. Doesn't that sound a little flawed? I mean, if we were to share that with people, like God so loved the world except for me, wouldn't people be like, well, what if he doesn't love me then either? St. Francis of Assisi said, always preach the gospel. If you must, use words. (laughs) Blows my mind. What are our actions? Are we accepting what God has made us to be? If he made a mistake with me, then maybe he made a mistake with you. And if he made a mistake with you and me, then maybe he, you know, made other mistakes. And it becomes a huge snowball into a danger zone. Now, I'm sure no one has actually said out loud, God, you made a mistake. But I'd venture to guess that some of us have actually thought it. When we look in the mirror and all we can see are flaws, we are essentially telling the creator of the universe, God Almighty, you made a mistake, God. And if you're believing that lie, my question would be, what other lies are you willing to believe also? Let me say this here and now. God does not make mistakes. He does not make junk. Just because you're not like everyone else, just because you are different, doesn't mean that it was a mistake. Why are some people smarter? Why are some different shapes than others? Why do some have more hair than others? I don't know. Yet the fact remains that he made you. And if I were to guess, I'd actually say that God likes variety. I mean, how boring and confusing would it be if everyone looked like everyone else? I mean, think about that. Wouldn't that be hard? I have a hard time with names anyways. Now, faces being the same too, I'd be like, goodness gracious. How boring that would be. When I was in high school, we had this group of girls that always tried to look the same. I mean, they they would even at times coordinate the way that they dressed and everything like that. And we had a term for that group of girls. We called them plastic. Because they all tried being like Barbie dolls. They all tried to be exactly the same and everything like that. I don't know if, is that term still around or? Mean Girls? Uh, I, I might have, I have a long time ago when it first came out. So it's an old movie. So yeah. But, and that's probably where we got the term from. But we, we would call them plastic because they all tried being like everyone else. Now, I'm not saying that was right, but that's what we did in our carnality. but they wanted to be just like everyone else. We can't 
compare ourselves in the, from a human point of view. So what I want to do real quick here is I have a video that is going to help solidify this message a little bit more. And I ask you, just take a look at, um, at this with an open heart, with an open mind. Allow the Holy Spirit to be able to minister through you. And I'll come up after that. Go ahead. We are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, <laughs> but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, dear heavenly father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh, why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh, okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. What well, gave it away? You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Wait, wait. What are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running. I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward. But I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here, that would be awesome. <laughs> You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. The platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. Mm. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um... Compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Hang on a second. I mean, I, I, I got to admit, I, I feel like you've been doing some great work, and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? 
I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends, and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um... It's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know. I'll stay right here and then, you That's know. That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things or life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish. It's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever going to hear is at the end of your life when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize. Heavenward. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't. Talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years, these empty wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Um, allow me to produce character where you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not oh, my ways. I can't. You can't what? I, I, I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning. I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah, but you and I both... What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um... I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. Chisel away. Just, just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because I get up every morning... And I look at him in the mirror. And I hate who I see. Because deep inside there, this, this, this little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult 
And I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away. Just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not from me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know. Reach your back pocket. What? Reach your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I just meant, God, I'll do that right now. You're just saying my name in vain. Come on. It's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying. It's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. Oh, my gosh. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? Even though you and I both know I've messed up so many times. Did I hear you say you want to use me? And I feel so useless. If you'll take me and use me, then God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at it as a prison, but look at it as a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's... No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy... Is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece.
Psalm 139, 13 through 18 says this, You made all my delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was, being wo- as I was woven together in a dark womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't, I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, you are still with me. See, we are special in God's eyes. So special that God sent his only son, his best, to die for us, to fulfill the debt of sin so we could be made right in the sight of God. It's not what you do. It's what you can receive, though, that free gift. Don't allow someone to talk down to you or treat you anything less than the child of God that you are, including yourself. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads, close your eyes. And I also ask that you, I I like doing something because it, it kind of puts into the, when we do something in the physical, I feel like sometimes it does stuff in the spiritual. So I, as your, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, put your hands palm up like you're going to be giving uh, a gift to someone. And in your mind, what I ask that you put in your hands to be giving is, is a self-image that says, I got to be like the world. I got to dress like the world. I got to act like the world. I want you to put in there that lie that says that God made mistake or he, he made junk. I want you to put in your hands to give away the thing that says you're imperfect, you're a mistake. And I ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Repeat, Father, forgive me for believing the lie that you made a mistake. Come on now, family. Let's say this together, okay? Forgive me for believing that I am anything less than what you have made me to be. I renounce that line of thinking. I receive and apply your word to my life. Thank you, Lord, for making me. Amen. Friends, I want you to remember that prayer. I want you to to remember the form of that prayer because that is a prayer that you are going to have to pray maybe daily for a season of your life. Maybe hourly for a season of your life until your mind catches up with what God has 
doing what is he is doing and has done in your spirit. Every time you look in the mirror and don't see something or you see something that's not like everyone else. Every time you catch yourself judging yourself and in turn declaring that God made a mistake, I want you to go to the Lord again. Every time. It might get tiring sometimes. You might catch yourself that you develop some really bad habits. But every time, turn to the Lord again. Lay that lie down. Lay that thinking down at the cross and and put on the new creation that you are. Let me pray over you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you are breaking off of all of us here today. Father, open our eyes even more to appreciate how unique you have made each and every one of us. Father, I am aware that that you have led me to share all of this, not so we can be full of ourselves, but we can appreciate your magnificent creation. That we can be settled in who we are in you and in turn draw others to you as well. All of this for your glory and for your kingdom and statue.